Welcome back. For the past several weeks, we have been studying the Shema together as we look into the Israelites' call to love God in Deuteronomy 6, which is also our call. We've been asking some basic questions like, why do we love God? And we learned we love God because He made a way for us, because He loved us, and because He is worthy. And now we are transitioning to a new question, and that is, how do we love God? And last week we learned that after receiving His love, we can listen to God, we can cherish Him in our hearts, and we can obey Him. So we're going to continue to answer that question today. But before we do that, let's go ahead and say or recite the Shema together from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Today, we are going to look into the specific three ways outlined in the Shema of how we can love God. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this into one main idea that we're going to unpack in our session today, and that is we love God with all of our current and potential territory, with all of our current and potential territory. And by territory, I mean everything that God has given us dominion or control over. And I choose this word intentionally because I think it connects so well to the Israelites' story. They were dealing in territory here. God was calling them to go into the promised land, but they're not in the promised land yet. So he's speaking to them now so they can learn how he wants them to live in their potential territory. But they're not there yet, are they? They're in transition now, which I think is especially important to point out because the most important work of conquest happens before they set foot in the promised land. Let me say that again. The most important conquest happens before they ever set foot in the promised land with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Even as we're gonna break down each of those words individually, I wanna start with the word that comes before each of them, all. And this might seem simple, but it has a big meaning. All is not some, all is not even most, all is all, as in hold nothing back, as in leave it all on the court, as in 100%. All is a big and beautiful call to love a big and beautiful God. So keep that in mind as we talk about heart, soul, and might we are talking about the entirety of each one. Let's talk about heart first. We're gonna start here and we're gonna spend the most time here because I believe the order of the Shema is absolutely intentional. Because what happens in the heart affects everything else. Jesus talked about this 
All else flows from what goes on inside of us. In Matthew 15, 18 through 19, Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And again, in Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The Hebrew word for heart is lev or lava. It is pronounced both ways. And according to Blue Letter Bible, this word occurs 252 times in the Old Testament, 43 times in Deuteronomy alone. In our English language, we tend to separate the place as where our thinking happens is coming from the brain and all the feels is coming from the heart. But the Hebrews combined both of those activities as coming from one place, the lev. They thought all of the intellectual activities, that is knowing, thinking, planning, understanding, discerning, memory, that all happened in the heart, as well as all of the emotions. And it was also the place where people made choices based on their desires. So in some, the heart for the Israelites is where they thought, felt, and made choices. When Jesus cites this verse in the New Testament, he actually separates out mind and heart because in the Greek language, it is separate as well. But those two words saying the same thing as the one Hebrew word says with love. So in order for the Israelites to love God with all of their hearts, they would need to devote the entire, their entire inner lives to him. And for us to love God with all of our hearts, we need to do the same. Now, in word study, it's not only good to look at the definition in the original language, but also look at how this word is used in various other places in the Bible. So I'm going to be bringing in more of those passages with this application section with heart specifically. You can find other passages uh, where this word is used in places like a concordance or something like the Blue Letter Bible app. So how do we go about loving God with all of our inner lives? There are four ways here I want to talk about how we can devote all of our hearts to God. One, prayerfully take inventory of your heart. We have to grow in awareness of our inner life. We have to do some self-examination here of what is going on in our thoughts and our feelings and how we're making choices. And we need to hold them up to the Lord for a love offering. This is such an intimate place, one that you only go to with God. And he sees you just as you are. You can let your guard down. It's vulnerable because you can't pretend or hide or put a social media filter on your thoughts or your feelings, can you? He sees it all and sets his heart on you. And this is where the really good stuff can happen. He is calling you to get away with him here. 
We can pray like David, a man after God's own heart did. In Psalm 51:10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And again, in Psalm 139:23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Secondly, we need to recognize our hearts are broken and we need a drastic heart surgery. Jeremiah the prophet said this in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if our heart is sick, then that stands that everything that happens in our heart is sick as well. Our thoughts, they need help. Our feelings, they need help. Our choices, they need a change. We need a change in our lives to follow and love God. We need a heart replacement surgery, but thankfully we have the greatest physician to do this, the Holy Spirit. Another prophet, Ezekiel, talks about this process in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So this heart change is something that God initiates, but this heart change is also something God invites you to join him in. This is not something passive on your part. He is leading you, yes, but he wants you present and dedicated to this process too. The Bible calls this heart circumcision, and it is described here in the book of Deuteronomy. So thirdly, we need to circumcise our hearts. Moses talks to the people about this just ahead in De Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Moses says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. This heart circumcision is a cutting away of whatever in our lives that is preventing us from loving God with our whole heart. It's a pretty, pretty vivid description on purpose. He wants you to know this process is drastic, but also so good and so necessary. Have you ever heard the expression, oh, it hurts so good? That's what I think of here. What are we cutting away? Sin, but also stubbornness. Sin meaning anything that separates you from God and stubbornness being the posture where sin thrives. Ezekiel calls this the stone cold heart, remember? By the way, I don't think this is a one and done deal, but requires intentionality on our part in keeping with the intentionality that Moses speaks of this entire book. The Bible calls this keeping, or other translations say guarding your heart. So fourthly, we need to keep our heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. This is a continual work you and the Holy Spirit do together. Of course, it's something he could do by himself, but that wouldn't cultivate your relationship much, would it? 
It's something he wants you to join him in. And he will teach you and guide you and give you discernment about what you let occupy your heart and what you will set up boundaries against. But this isn't just a game of keep away. Did you notice what happens when we keep our heart from Proverbs 4.23? There flows from it springs of life. God uses that space to do something beautiful and bountiful. This reminds me of my backyard, which until very recently was very neglected. And the most I ever used to do was go out every once in a while and weed whack everything to the ground so you could see my house again. But when COVID-19 hit, we had a lot more time around the house and we started spending more time out there. And although I don't know, I don't know that I knew at the time what possessed me. Now I am sure it is the Holy Spirit because I changed my strategy. I started actually pulling out those weed trees from their roots. And I was shocked at how gnarly the roots were and how far they spread out. They were doing anything to keep their hold on my territory. It was a lot of hard work, and once I saw the bed was cleared out, I was really eager to plant something new there because I never wanted to go through that process again. So I put some hostas and impatience in there, and that's when my aha moment came because I saw that my yard didn't have to be just about weed management anymore. It could be about experiencing beauty and the beauty of God. Sisters, I think that we have believed a lie that Christianity is all about sin management. But I think what God wants to do with your heart is to take the sin, to free you from it fully, so you can feel fully loved and fully free, and so that he can do something in your heart that will show others the full, beautiful, bountiful life that is loving Jesus. So here is where we begin to answer our main point. How do we love God with all of our current and potential territory, with the entire territory of our inner selves? This work is so joyful, one that we get to do together with him. The next word is soul, and this word is nefesh in Hebrew. I've read it appears 753 times in the Old Testament. 31 times in Deuteronomy. It is a complex and broad and fascinating word used in various ways throughout the Old Testament. I think we need to start with what it doesn't mean because in our English language, we think of soul as being this sort of intangible uh, presence that is within a body when it lives and then leaves a body when it dies. And this is not what the Hebrew language is getting at here. We're going to start with our most basic meaning uh, that we have in the Hebrew language and then kind of build upon that. It quite literally means throat or neck. And when you think about it, the throat is important for a couple different reasons to the body. One, it's a place to receive, and two, it's a place where uh, the direction of the body is dictated from. It's the central location of it that brings it so much importance. So one is a place to receive. It's where the body receives 
air, food, and water. Without the nefesh, you don't get the sources of life your body needs. And so without it, your body would die. The Bible Project describes the nefesh as being the vehicle for all of life's important functions. Very recently, we had to go to the ER with one of our sons because he was wheezing so bad. And it was really scary as a mom thinking he wasn't getting the air supply that he needed. Now he got the help he needed and he's doing just fine, but it got me thinking maybe we take this very important part of our body for granted sometimes. We really need that body because we, re that part of the body, because we really need to receive through that part of the body. David, the psalmist, again, the guy after God's own heart, describes the need to receive through the nefesh as coming directly from God. Psalm 42, one through two says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And again, in Psalm 23, 1 through 3a, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So the nefesh is a place we need to receive and a place where we need to receive from God. It's also important for the centrality of its location right between your head and your torso where all these very important vital life organs are situated. It's also important because it gives your body a direction. Do you guys remember uh, the line from my big fat Greek wedding? The Greek mama says, the man may be the head, but the woman is the neck and she can point the head wherever she desires right? That Greek mama knew the importance of the neck in terms of pointing the body in a certain direction. The Hebrew Bible translation with commentary summarizes the nefesh as meaning life, breath, or essential self. Sometimes it means life, blood. It can be plural too. It can mean a whole person or a whole people, any whole living organism that makes up a person. And the Bible Project summarizes loving God with your nefesh as meaning to devote your whole physical being to your creator. And it seems not only what your body can do, but also what you can keep your body from doing. So it begs the question of us, how can we love God with all of our physical being? Well, my two cents is that I think God uses a broad word here on purpose because there are a broad array of ways that we can love him and love others with our life breath, with our physical being. It will never be a one size fits all situation because God has created us so uniquely and has given us unique situations to physically show his love. And in keeping with the pattern this whole time, I believe we continue to need to receive his love first through the nefesh in a very physical way and then pour it out back on others. I think we have a receiving problem in this culture, um, and I certainly did. 
This is actually how I came to know Jesus as my savior. I struggled with anorexia and an exhausting, deathly perfectionism. Quite literally, it was slowly killing me. But God gently showed me his life, giving grace and spoon fed it to me until both physically and spiritually, I tasted the goodness of his grace. And now I am gulping it in full. Sometimes I still struggle, but I see the gift of receiving through my nefesh as I receive the love of God. Each physical gift I receive, food, breath, air, rest, each is a gift that I say, okay, I, I hear you're saying, I love you, Jillian. And now I have an opportunity to use those gifts to love God back, not because I have to, or because God needs me, not out of shame, but out of love and joy, because God wants me, because God loves me, because I am precious and beautiful in his sight. So out of this gracious receiving, I can dedicate my entire physical body, every breath that I breathe in, to loving him in return. The nefesh is to breathe God's love in and then to breathe it back out. I've seen so many beautiful ways over the past year, especially, that Christians have shown God's love through their nefesh. I think about health professionals who have used their hands to heal for 12 hours at a time at hospitals. I think about uh, mamas who have been making meals, uh, serving others, holding babies. I think about people getting together for coffee or a meal, feeding their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs at the same time. I think of those who raise money for kingdom work by running a 5K. I think of spouses enjoying sex together in the beautiful way that God has called them to unite, to share his intimate love. Here are but a few examples of an infinite number of ways to love God with our nefesh, but certainly not an exhaustive list. Something, simply some ideas that point toward the fact that our bodies have a purpose to love and worship God. You have a body so that you can be the body of Christ. You can be his hands and feet here on earth. And once your heart is God's, that love will overflow into your body and all of it it's capable of doing. So how do we love God? We love God by devoting the entire territory of our inner self and our outer self to him. So haven't we covered it all, right? What's left? Well, there's ma'od, ma'od, which is translated as might into our language. This is new. It is an adverb that is used here as a noun. And I know all you English majors here are cringing, but lean into it. This gets cool. It's used 300 times in the Old Testament, 12 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And it means very or much. So it intensifies the meaning of verbs like very good, very happy, very mad, very powerful, etc. The Blue Letter Bible app says that it means exceedingly, much, might, force, abundance, greatly, vary to a great degree. My favorite is muchness. Love God with all your muchness. Me and my mom used to play this game where one of us would start, I love you one, and the other person would say, I love you two, and then the other person would say, I love you three, and then we would go all the way up to 10, and whoever reached 10 first always one. 
And then when I thought I was real smart as I was growing, I would say, I love you, infinity. And that would always take the cake. Mayode is like saying, I love you. And in the words of Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. I feel like the Shema is not only giving us permission, but pumping us up to be extra in our love for God, to give it our all, to give it our gumption, to give it some oomph. Or like my boys like to say, level up in your love for God. Don't just love him with the icing, but love him with the sprinkles and the sparkler candles too. The Bible Project describes Mayod as devoting every opportunity, every possibility, and every capacity you have to loving God and your neighbor as yourself. So application-wise, I think we can ask the question, what has God given me today to receive and give back to him? In this way, it kind of makes it practical. My pastor has us often evaluate the five capitals of our life, things God has given us that we can give back to him. We have relational capital, we have financial capital, spiritual capital, physical capital, and intellectual capital. I've heard it summarized as time, talents, and treasure. We have all been given something that we can give. Jesus incredibly showed us how to give it all when he loved God in this way when he loved others in this way. He loved Yahweh and his neighbor with all of his love, nefesh, and mayod every day of his 33 years of life. He showed us what love to infinity and beyond means when he loved us to the grave and beyond. He didn't hold anything back in his love for us. His love is immeasurable. Have you ever heard someone say at the end of a movie, maybe, save your strength? Usually they're talking to someone who's maybe on their deathbed and trying to tell them, wait, wait, don't talk, don't talk. It's almost as if Moses is saying the opposite here. He's saying, don't save your strength. Don't hold back your mayod. I think those who are withholding don't really understand the abundance of life with Yahweh. They are comparing it to other human relationships, which are draining and imperfect. But when we are in relationship with Christ, we're always receiving the love and resources. We need to love him back. There is no lack in this relationship here. We're not at risk of giving everything and love back to him because he continually gives and supplies what we need to do just that. In John 15, 1 through 17, Jesus calls this process abiding. And when we abide with Christ, we receive all we need to love him in return. And we're also pruned in that same vein of heart circumcision so that we can bear much fruit as we bear his image. So I invite you to meditate on this passage with your group and notice how this intimate abiding with the Father leads us to love others as well. We're going to talk more about loving others as we explore the second greatest commandment next week. Moses isn't leaving any part of us out here when it comes to our relationship with God. Everything we have has been given to us by God to love him and love others with. And when we realize that God has held nothing back from us and continues to supply us with all that we need, we can experience great joy in loving him with our whole self. We will see the whole territory of our lives cultivated by Christ 
in abundant fruit bearing, an evidence of God's kingdom come. So how do we love God? We love God with all of our current and potential territory, with all of our lev, nefesh, and mayod, with our whole selves to infinity and beyond. Dayton Women in the Word exists to help women read their Bibles. If you have been blessed by our ministry and free resources, would you please consider giving a donation at DaytonWomenInTheWord.com slash donate. Oh, yeah.